Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Mark chapter 15, the book of Mark chapter 15. We continue our study through the New Testament. So remember where we're at and what's been happening thus far, where our Lord, he's before his accusers and the prophecies of Isaiah, they're being fulfilled, you know, among others. But, you know, here in the era of Mark chapter 15, they're happening in real time, that what's being fulfilled, the prophecies of Isaiah, they're being fulfilled in real time. And notice, by and large, the religious establishment, they're oblivious to it, you see? And remember, Jesus had warned them. Remember in our studies, when we first started the book of Mark, and we see in Mark chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and remember the parables that he spoke, but were at the beginning of Mark, you know, where he was an open book, how Jesus would go into synagogue, and he was an open book. And then, because of the hardness of their hearts, now comes the parables, you see? And then harsher parables, and then harsher parables, and these are parables they serve to warn, but then the harsher ones came, and those are ones that pointed to judgment, you see? And so here in chapter 15, what's happened, remember last week in chapter 14, our Lord, he's been arrested. He's been arrested. And we see how last week in chapter 15, or in chapter 14 last week, how he was, you know, spit upon, you know, they spit on him, they punched him, and, you know, they would, you know, blindfold him and then punch him, you know, prophesy, you know, and they would punch him. And, you know, this was the religious establishment that was doing this. You know, the political establishment too with the Herodians, but now we're going to see even more and even more among the Gentiles. So we see that by both Jew and Gentile, our Lord rejected. And let's begin our study here in Mark chapter 15, verse 1. Immediately in the morning. Now, remember, it's been, you know, a long night, a very, very long night. So in Gethsemane, remember several chapters ago in Gethsemane, where the disciples fell asleep and Jesus told them, hey, stay awake. But then he comes back and they're sleeping. And then he goes and prays again. He comes back and they're sleeping again. Now, had they been awake had they been awake, I wonder if things could have tarried, if they, if, if, if they might have tarried a little bit longer. I just wonder. I just wonder, especially in light of those who are watchful today. Remember how Jesus says in the, the prophecies when the disciples asked him, you know, what's the sign of the end, the end of the age and the sign of your coming? And Jesus is the one who says, pray that it not be in the winter. And so when we start to piece things together, it's like, you know, wait a second. I wonder, you know, if, if, if they stayed awake, if things could have been pushed out just a little bit longer. I wonder, I wonder, because Jesus says for the last day's generation, pray that it not be in the winter. And so here in Mark 15, it's been a very long night, a very long night now, along with being beaten as well. And when you consider the fatigue of our Lord. I mean, there's the fatigue of just being awake for so long. But then now we add the beatings that we see in chapter 14. And, you know, keep in mind the human body, you know, in the human body, you know, when it, when it's beat and beaten, you know, it wants to go into recovery mode where, you know, a human gets tired after a beating and then the body shuts down because the body goes into like recovery mode. mode. But then for our Lord, our Lord, the persecution continues. There's, there's like no time of rest. This, you know, from his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, there's no sleep. The disciples fell asleep, but for Jesus, no sleep. And the persecution, it continues and it intensifies. So now it's morning. 
We see in verse 1, immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. Now, remember the council of elders under Joshua? Remember in our Old Testament studies? Beautiful, beautiful men of God. How uh, under the leadership of Joshua and the elders of Israel, you know, they were faithful unto the Lord and Israel was clean before the Lord. And that was in the era of Joshua. But then when we fast forward into the future and we have men of the exact same title, they have the same title, they're elders. But what happened? They're unfaithful. What happened? You know, what? just like we look at, you know, how in, in passages in Torah, when, 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 when Moses writes or when Moses speaks and when Moses gives the law, it's like, wait a second, sacrifice and offering, it is a beautiful thing. But then you get to Isaiah and sacrifice and offering, no, it is not a good thing. Well, how can that be? Did the Lord change his mind? How can sacrifice and offering be good in the era of Moses, but then sacrifice and offering be bad in the era of Isaiah? How can that be? Did the Lord change his mind? No, disconnect, wrong formula, you see? Very important to understand. And today in the church, everybody lauds a council of elders. Oh, look, a council of elders. We need a council of elders, a council of elders. But let me ask you a question. Where can be found holy formula within the elders? You see, you look at the elders under Joshua, and then you look at the elders here in Mark 15. What happened? They got the same title. They're elders, elders of Israel. The same thing happens in the church, elders in the church. I mean, you can look at the elders of the church when of Philippi, but then you look at the elders of the church in Corinth and it's like, wait a second, you know, they got the same title, but they don't have the same formula, you see? And so here we see this group of so-called holy men. We see the in in in, the, 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 in, in uh, 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 in this verse, you know, the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, and they have an appearance of holiness. But when you understand formula, you realize, wait a second, they're workers of iniquity, they're workers of wickedness. And after this consultation, look what they conclude and their course of action. We see here in still in verse one, and they bound Jesus, led him away and delivered him to Pilate. You see, so the persecution of our Lord, it's making the rounds. It's making the rounds and not to speak loosely about this, but what's happening, it's a huge deal, a very huge deal. And everybody is involved, the religious establishment, the political establishment of the Herodian type. And now we see the political establishment of the Roman type because our Lord, he's delivered to the Roman governor of Judea, both Jew and Gentile without excuse. They delivered him to Pilate. Now we get to verse two. Then Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, it is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Again, what's happening in real time? In real time here in Mark chapter 15, verse 2 and 3, in real time, prophecy is being fulfilled. 
Remember Isaiah 53, where we looked at Isaiah chapter 53, where he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. You know, sometimes you hear in the news, you know, if you watch the news, you know, sometimes you hear like, you know, the a mayor is meeting with the local leaders or the governor is meeting with state leaders. Well, that's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. The chief priests, they're the religious leaders, but also politically speaking, they're also heads of a party block, so to speak, because they're the heads of the Jewish people living under Roman rule in the region of Judea. So now we see like a a little quasi-political faction here, especially when they're talking with the Pilate, who's a governor of the region of Judea. And so now we see the religious establishment and they play into politics. They've played into politics before with Herod, with the Herodians. But that's kind of like, you know, a smaller scale, like kind of like, you know, uh, uh, like mayors, you know, it's kind of like a smaller scale. But now we're getting into the heavier politics of like the more weightier politics with, you know, governorship. And now we see it with Pontius Pilate. Very interesting what we see how that kind of like the political game. Now, remember what old man Moses told Israel? Old man Moses, his farewell dissertation, remember in our study, his farewell discourse in our study in in, uh, Deuteronomy? And old man Moses told Israel, you are set apart for the Lord. You are set apart for the Lord. You are not like these peoples and cultures. No, you are consecrated unto the Lord. Remember what Moses says, old man Moses? And here for the religious establishment in Mark chapter 15, for such so-called leaders to exalt Moses, and yet they're deaf to Moses. Because Moses told them, hey, you're not like these people. Don't play these political games. Don't play these political games. You are a chosen people. You are consecrated unto the Lord. Old man Moses told them. And remember, when you look at the Gospels in chronological order and you account for other Gospels, you know, with uh, 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 Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke, well, when you account for these, the the religious establishment, the Pharisees, they they were straight up, you know, kind of like prideful and boasting in Moses. Oh, we follow Moses. We follow Moses. And Jesus called them on it. And says, Moses wrote about me. Moses wrote about me. Very important to understand what the word of God teaches. And so now you see the religious leaders. They're playing into politics. The chief priests in the order of Aaron are accusing the real high priest in the order of Melchizedek. They're accusing him. And in verse 3, they make many accusations, the text says. Many accusations. I mean, we saw it last week in chapter 14 how they would, you know, uh, 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 make these false accusations, false witness, breaking the law. And here, they're going a step further, and now they're taking it to uh, Pontius Pilate. Because remember, they've been conspiring for a long time to destroy Israel, and now they have the means by which to do that. In verse 4, we see, then Pilate asked them again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus, in verse 5, Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Again, we see fulfillment of Isaiah. 
where he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Think of all the people. All the people, when when given a chance to make their case, how many people would dispute accusations? Think of all the people that would speak in their own defense, and yet our Lord, he's silent. And it blows Pilate away. It blows him away. He marvels. And in verse 6, Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, Whomever they requested, it's like a, a political pardon, you know, just like regular politics as usual. Sometimes you see in the news how a governor gives a political pardon or a president or prime minister or a king gives a, 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 a pardon. Well, that's what's happening here in verse 6. So he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And in verse 7, and there was one named Barabbas. Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels, who, who was chained with his fellow rebels, they had, they had committed murder in the rebellion. And the multitude crying aloud began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. Very interesting what we see in verse 6, 7, and 8 because, you know, this is something that Pilate was accustomed to. to, to in verse 6, to, you know, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them. And so now in verse 6, it's the people, it was the multitude saying, hey, do like you always do. It was the multitude who brought that to the forefront of, of Pilate's mind. Hey, do, are, are you, know, you going to do this year like you've done the past years? And so we see here in verse 9, but Pilate answered them saying, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? So Pilate thought like, you know, oh, you know, they're reminding me because they want Jesus to be released. You know, that's why they're reminding me because they, they want Jesus to be released. And in verse 10, for he knew about Pilate, for he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. You see, he knew it. So Pilate's the governor. Now, as governor, he has a a savviness to politics, you know, and the, the political schemes, political methods. And so the people, they remind him about releasing a prisoner. You know, are you going to do like you did last year and the previous year and the previous year? Are you going to do it the same? And so he asked them, okay, you, you want me to release the king of the Jews? But then notice what happens here in verse 11. But the chief priests, the chief priests, the chief priests stirred up the crowd. So, so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. What's happened? What has happened to the priesthood? It's just like the book of Judges where, remember in the book of Judges, very difficult book to study, especially the, the latter chapters, because that's where you see the idolatry. You see, you know, the sex and the perversions. Remember the gang rape that we see in the book of Judges? And it's terrible. And then you see bloodshed, the mutilation and bloodshed, through, through, bloodshed throughout all the camps of Israel. It's like, yeah, we got the priests. But look at them. Sure, we got the Levites, we got Kohanim, we got all the priests. Yeah, we got it. But look at them. You see? And you see the chief priests here. They stirred up the crowd so that he should, so that Pilate should rather release Barabbas to them. Remember, Pilate, the, the, the governor, 
He's savvy. He has this political savviness to him. But then at the same time, when we see the heads of the Hebrew political bloc, so to speak, the chief priests as heads, and these heads, the chief priests, now remember, these, this, this, these aren't the chief priests of Nazareth or the chief priests of Galilee. No, we're with the heavies now. Straight up Jerusalem. We're with the heavies. And as heads, they have major pull, major influence, and major power. I, I, look, put yourself in the sandals of the average Joe and the average Jane. Just for a moment, put yourself in, the, in their sandals. Where several days ago, at this particular era, several days ago, Jesus, he comes riding into Jerusalem on a colt. And everyone is shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now. Because what the people thought was that Jesus would restore Israel. They thought that Jesus would restore Israel, not as a province of Rome, not as Judea alone, but all the 12 tribes of Israel in the borders as indicated by Moses, in the borders as established under Joshua. That's what the people thought the Messiah would do. Now, Messiah, he will absolutely do that. Absolutely. But the timing and sequence of events, it has to align with scriptures. It has to align with scriptures and something forgotten. It just so happens. It just so happens. We read about it on Wednesday. It just so happens that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. Remember our study in 1 Samuel? And so the religious leaders, remember how in times past, in, in our studies in the book of Mark, how in the, in the, the previous times and in, in our study in the book of Mark, how they wanted to capture Jesus, the religious establishment. They wanted to capture him. They've been seeking how they might destroy him. But they feared the people. They feared the people, so they didn't. You know, they wanted to capture Jesus, but then through fear of the people, they said, no, you know, the, the multitude, too many people. And when Jesus was arrested last week in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus was arrested, it was under the cover of night while everyone was asleep. You see? So the priests, they get this idea. Oh, we got to arrest Jesus. We got to arrest Jesus. But we don't want an uprising. And then someone gets the idea. Well, I know, I know. Let's arrest him at night when everybody's asleep. Oh, and look, you know, we got this mole. You know, we, we got a mole. We got someone on the inside. You know, good old Judas. And the chief priests, they have major, major, major influence. Major. I mean, we're not in Nazareth. We're not in Galilee. It's not those priests. We're with the heavies from Jerusalem. And these aren't run-of-the-mill priests. These are the chief priests. I mean, to give you an example, just for example, let's say a group of Catholic people, Catholics, Let's say there's a group of Catholics and, you know, people, just, you know, run-of-the-mill people. And there's a group of Catholic people and they want to do something. But then the priest comes along who says, well, you know, don't do that. You know, they say otherwise. They say, I don't think you should do that. You know, maybe there's a couple priests, three or four priests, you know. And they say, well, you guys, I don't think you should do that. And, you know, it makes no difference. It's just, you know, the priests are saying that. So the Catholic people, what they do, they're just going to continue. The, the priests say, they, they say their spiel, nothing happens because the people, oh, it's just a priest, no big deal. So the Catholics, they just do, you know, they're just going to continue doing whatever they wanted to do. But then, say, for example, so the priests leave. But then enter the scene, the bishops, 
the bishops come on the scene. Now, this has a weightier implication in the ways of Catholicism, but so the bishops, the bishops come and they speak and they come against what the people or the Catholic people are doing. But then the people, they just continue. Well, you know, the priest, okay, that's nice. He says, says his spiel, you know, the bishops, okay, that's nice. He said, they, they say their spiel, but then the people just continue doing what they were going to do. The power of the people is still a formidable force. Let's not forget the power of the people. And then the archbishop, archbishops come to town. And the archbishops, they come to town and, okay, now it's getting heavier. Because the priests, okay, you know, just priests, no big deal. The bishops, okay, a little weightier, but eh. But now the archbishops speak. And it's getting heavier and heavier. Now what happens, some of the people are expressing doubts. Because, you know, it's not just the run-of-the-mill priests. Now it's the archbishops that are speaking. But... There's now, now there's doubting people, but nevertheless, the people, they continue with what they wanted to do, but there's doubt in the mix now. But then something else happens. Then the cardinals arrive. And this is huge because, you know, they speak and now the people, they're straight up stopped in their tracks because the cardinals have spoken. And the cardinals, they have major, major weight to them. And they sway the people. And that's what's happening here. The chief priest. You know, this, these aren't the, this isn't the priesthood in, you know, run-of-the-mill uh, uh, priest in uh, 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 Galilee. No, we're with the heavies here. The sway of the crowd, you see. And, you know, instead of releasing Jesus, no. They sway the crowd. They sway the people, you know, a hey, release Barabbas, you see. Now, as a little side note for my Catholic friends, I love you. Let me tell you something. Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. And for my Catholic friends, I love you. But, you know, hey, proof is in the pudding. Now, if you're Catholic, go to thewayunderground.com and then go to the Catholic area and you'll see why Catholicism is unbiblical. You'll see why. So let's continue our study here. So the chief priests, you know, to sway the people like this, what's happening is they're condemning themselves, the priests. Remember, leadership matters. It's just like in, in Samuel's day. Remember with little Samuel in Samuel's day when he was younger? Who's better? Little Samuel or Eli, the high priest? Who's better? The high priest or little Samuel? And one could say, well, it's, it's Eli. Surely it's Eli. He's high priest. He's got the garb. He has the title. He has the position. He has the responsibility. But when you understand the formula, no, it's little Samuel. You see? Remember, the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. Remember what the Lord says to, you know, old man Samuel? You know, Samuel, don't, don't look like man. Don't look like, you know, with carnal eyes. Samuel, see things like I see things. Remember? And so here in verse 12, Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Crucify him. They cried out crucify him remember they're the ones you know hey you know Pilate are you gonna do like you did last year in the previous year you know and and release somebody and 
Pilate was just thinking like, oh yeah, I forgot, you know, so, you know, you want me to release Jesus? You want me to release your, your king to you? And then all of a sudden, the priest had come. And these, this isn't, you know, the priest from Nazareth. No, these are the heavies who come, just like the cardinal's example. This isn't like the priests or the bishops or the archbishop. No, this is the cardinals who come in and speak. This is, these are the heavies who come in and they have major, major pull, major, major influence. And all of a sudden, the chief priest, they speak to the people and say, no, 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 you know, and, and they convince the people. And now the people People say, no, we don't want Jesus. We want Barabbas. Release Barabbas. And so Pilate, you know, what then do you want me to do with Jesus? Him you call king of the Jews. And then they cry out in verse 13, crucify him. Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? Very interesting that with the chief priest, Pilate knows. Remember, they were just, the chief priests and Jesus and Pilate, they were all in this room and the chief priests, they were making their case. And Pilate knows, hey, they have no case. Pilate knows it. He just heard all the accusations. And in verse 14, what evil has he done? But the priests also know there's the court of public opinion. You see, you, you see how these priests, they're very conniving, these priests, these chief priests, very conniving because they're playing a political game. They're using these factions of men to achieve their overall goal, which is to kill Jesus, to destroy Jesus. Remember the parables that Jesus spoke to them just several chapters ago? The parable about when the, uh, the renters, remember the renters? They're just the renters. They're not the owners. And what do they do? They kill the owner's son. They kill the real master. They kill his son. Remember the parable? It was the parable of heavy, heavy judgment, heavy warning. Like, hey, like, you know, you see how the parables shift? I mean, you remember the parables in the earlier chapters in the book of Mark, but now you see the parables, they get more intense and they get to the point where they're now warning of judgment. But then you look at the priests here. You see like what they've done and what they're doing. Because, you know, the people are like, you know, hey, Pilate, are, are you going to release to us like you did last year and the previous year? Because, you know, hey, we, we want Jesus to be released. But then the religious leaders step in. And they sway the people. And they have heavy influences. You know, these are the heavies. They have heavy influence, just like the just just like the uh, the cardinals. You see, and you see the priesthood. They're playing using these political uh, 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 kind of tools, shall we say, using the court of public opinion. And Pilate asked, "Why? What evil has he done?" But they cried out all the more. Crucify him. And in verse six, uh, 15, so Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Whoa. Now in Matthew's account, you know, the, the book of Matthew, in the gospel according to Matthew, in Matthew's account, we also see something else. We see that Pilate's wife, she sent for him to advise him against the course of action that he was going to take. That's in Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, where, you know, have nothing to do with that just man. 
He was innocent. Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. That's what his wife, that's what Pilate's wife told him. I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Have nothing to do with that just man. Very interesting what we see. I wonder how many dumb husbands dismiss their wives. Oh, you're, you're suffering. Oh, you're suffering. You're too sensitive. You're too sensitive. Come on, toughen up. Oh, what? You're suffering and it's all over a dream? Oh my goodness, you're so sensitive. You're so stupid. I wonder how many dumb husbands go the way of Pilate and ignore their wives. Meanwhile, they say, you know, submit to me, wife, submit to me, wife, proclaims the ignoramus. Pilate, he can wash his hands all he wants, but he's complicit because he delivers Jesus to scourging and to be crucified. You see, both Jew and Gentile, both Jew and Gentile. And in verse 16, then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium and they called together the whole garrison. And now our Lord, he is mocked even more. Remember, no sleep, no sleep. And we have that exhaustion from no sleep. But remember, he's been beaten and he's been scourged now. The exhaustion, the weakness, the pain, the intense pain. And it's not over. There's going to be more pain. Turn really quick to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, verse 10. We see how the Lord is fulfilling prophecy and how prophecy is being fulfilled in real time, even with the, his accusers and when Jesus is silent. But in Isaiah 53, verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. And there's a common question when I speak with, you know, believers and non-believers. A common question is this. Why? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Why? How could a loving God do this to his only begotten son? Let's continue. Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Now remember, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And it's still the same today. The wages of sin is death. And we know from John chapter 3, we know that God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. And that's so beautiful. And yet when we read John chapter 3, it sounds so easy. It sounds so easy that God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. It sounds so easy. And let me tell you something. It is very easy, but it came at a cost for Jesus. It came at a cost for his soul as an offering for sin. Now, without sin offering, there's no sin transfer. You see, the transfer of a person's sin unto the offering. See, that means the penalty of death is fully applicable to the person. 
That's what happens without the sin offering. But when there is the sin offering, there is the transfer of sin. You see? To the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Very important to understand. I mean, when we when we see what's happening here, that you know, we see that you know Isaiah is being fulfilled when Jesus is before his, his accusers and he's silent before his accusers. Yes, that prophecy is being fulfilled, but also the law is being fulfilled. Because now we see innocent blood is being shed, which brings other things. It you know, it it now brings up other Aspects of the law that are now in play with the shedding of innocent blood. You say, wait a second, if you're a non-believer, you say, wait a second, like, how could this blood thing? Remember, life is in the blood. That's what the Bible says. Life is in the blood. But, you know, we can see this. I mean, you know, if somebody's bleeding out, they're going to die. Why? Because life is in the blood and blood pours out, you're going to die. And the Bible says life is in the blood. And with this recompense of sin, it's a transfer. Life for life, you see? Life for life. Where in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant rules, under those rules, you see that, you know, the, the blood of lamb, the blood of ox, you see the blood of turtle doves, you see the blood of animals. But then at the same time, that's, remember what, the, what, what, what we read about in Galatians and Hebrews until the seed well, now we see in Mark 15, the seed is here until the seed. Very important to understand on this, on this timeline, what is happening here? The things that the Lord put in motion many, many, many moons ago. And in Mark 15, we see that yes, fulfillment is happening, but it's fulfillment of the law, fulfillment of the prophets. And it's happening. It's happening. And I've had these conversations with non-believers before. And non-believers who tell me, listen, you make a strong case. They tell me, you make a pretty strong case. You make a pretty convincing case. But, you know, that's according to the Bible. And I'm not down with that. And listen, okay. Everybody is free to make their choice. Everybody is free to live how they deem is right. But I have a question. What's better? What's better? I mean, you know, sacrificing babies to Molech, applying methods of the world to help cope with life, you know, little bender here, little bender there. So a person is free to choose his path. A person is free to choose her path. But what's better? There's only one way to be healed. And this isn't like, you know, you know, like a, like a prescription, like, you know, hey, you, you, you have to take this prescription for the rest of your life. There's only one way to be healed, and I'm not, it's not coping mechanism. I'm talking straight up healed. And it's Jesus. I mean, you know, speaking with, you know, uh, someone who's addicted to drugs, somebody's addicted to, addicted to alcohol. You know, like, you know, yeah, you know, you make a convincing case, but, you know, I'm going to stick to my alcohol. Okay. You continue down that path, hey, you're going to, you know, liver disease. You're going to be dead. Well, you know, you make a convincing case, but you know, I'm going to stick to my crack. Little bender here, little bender there. Okay, listen, everybody is free to live how they want to live. But Jesus heals. 
where that crack, you're not going to want that crack. And it's not like, you know, living like, you know, uh, like uh, religiously. No, you, it's going to be gone. You're not, you're not, the desire for the crack, it's not going to be there. The, the, the desire for, you know, the casino, the desire for the, the alcohol, the desire for the whiskey, the desire for the, the, the sex. The Lord, when he cleans, he cleans. And that's in this life. These are things that the Lord does in this life. But there's more to the story. There's the life to come. And belief in Jesus, what that does, I mean, it's huge. Belief in Jesus, it effectuates the promises of God. I mean, you know, and and there's more, but, you know, that's at a very basic level. But God's promises, the promises, they can absolutely be yours. Absolutely. And sometimes people want to have these conversations with the non-believers of various types. Some some are harder than others. You know, sometimes a person is just like, you know, I'm not down with that. And sometimes people are adamant, you know, especially like the Satanists. They're adamant. Like, you know, a lot of expletives, expletive this, expletive that. It's okay. What's, what's better? Because you go down the road, you continue down that pathway of, you know, the crack use. You go down that pathway of the, the drug use and the alcohol and the sex and all kinds of different things. You go down, you know, the Ouija boards and the occult. Remember, you're open to the pneumos, you're open to the pneumos. And when I have these conversations, well, you know, the Bible is just a book of rules, they tell me. Oh, it's just a bunch of rules. And listen, it's true. There are rules. There are rules. But then once you understand that those rules are there to help you, to help me, to guide you, to teach you. Once you understand that, now things take on a new meaning. Because now you begin to understand the love of our Father in heaven. His love. Let's say, for example, you and me are age one, one years old. Just for example, you and me, and we're having a little conversation, you and me, we're using our our baby language. And then I tell you, you're one years old, I'm one years old. And then I tell you, hey, you know what? I don't like my parents. I don't like my parents. You know, they don't let me put my finger in in this socket here on the wall. They don't let me put my finger there. You know, I want to live my life how I want to live. And, you know, there's this dumb rule where I can't even put my finger in the socket. And we're one years old and we're having this conversation, speaking our baby language. And then you tell me, well, you think that's bad? You think that's bad? My parents, they make me wear these stupid diapers. And then they make, they make me wear these stupid mittens, these dumb mittens. Look at this. I want my freedom. I want to be able to scratch my face till I bleed and scratch out my eyes. I hate wearing these dumb mittens. I hate wearing these dumb diapers. And here we are, you know, I, I, and then I tell you, you know, another thing. I can't even play with knives. I can't even play with knives. And then you're looking at me, you're like, you know what? Me neither. My parents are the exact same. They won't even let me play with knives either. Man, our parents, they're so dumb. They just have a bunch of rules. You see? So yes, the Bible does have rules. But there's also an infancy that lacks understanding. Just like an example. Oh, you know what? I don't like my parents because they don't let me put my finger in the socket. So you won't die. You see? Oh, I don't like my parents. They won't let me play with knives. It's so you won't die. 
the infancy that lacks understanding. Yes, there are rules in the Bible. A person says, oh, but wait a second, I can't do my sex. I can't do my sex. Okay, yeah. But you'll also be free from gonorrhea and dying from AIDS. You see? It's like, oh, just like the finger in the sock. I can't, my, my finger in the sock. Yeah, your parents don't want you to die. I can't play with knives. Yeah, because, you know, mama and papa, they, they don't want you to die. A person, oh man, I can't do my crack. I can't do my crack. Yeah, because the Lord, he doesn't want you to die. I can't do my sex. Yeah, he doesn't want you to die. He doesn't want gonorrhea, syphilis. He doesn't want that for you. And when we start to see like that, we start to realize, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, God really does love me. He really does love me. And to have these conversations with Satanists even. Something, you know what's interesting about the Satanists? Sometimes the Satanists are Satanists because they hate what they see in Christianity, but what they see in Christianity is unbiblical Christianity. They turn on, you know, TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, and then they say, oh, that's Christianity. I hate that. Listen, I hate that too. I hate that too. You know, the, the, the grave soakers that you see on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, it's a big trick. The Bible says necromancy is an abomination before the Lord. And it's, you know, it, it, sometimes the Satanists, they're like, wait a second, you know, I'm a Satanist and you're a Christian and you're agreeing with me? Well, yeah, in that regard, you know, you know, we're not going to go do, Mol you know, worship Moloch or anything. I'm not, I'm not down with that. But I meant like, you know, you see the, the, the grave soakers on TV. No, I hate that too. And sometimes these Satanists, they base all their opinions on what they see in Christians. But then they're shocked when they realize it. Wait a second. That's not even in the Bible. That's not even in the Bible. To have a conversation with a Satanist, somebody who hates God, says they hate God, they hate Jesus, and they base it on what they see and what they presume to be Christianity. But to have a conversation with somebody and that person realize, wait a second, that's not even the Bible? You mean to tell me that the thing that I hate and the hypocrisy that I see and, you know, what Christians do here, what Christians do there, what Christians say to me, you mean to tell me that that's not even the Bible? Nope, it's not in the Bible. And they're blown away. I said, wait a second, I, I hate a God, but I don't even know who God is? Yep, that's what's happening. And to have these conversations, and you can see a, a heart that's hard, but then it moves a couple notches softer. It's getting softer. And when you start to see, you know, like, oh, the Bible is just a bunch of rules, but the rules are in place for you. For me, I can't do my sex. I can't do my sex. Yeah, that means you're not going to have gonorrhea and syphilis. Praise be to the Lord. And if that's you, you woke up this morning as a non-believer and you're just now realizing that, oh my goodness, God really does love me. Now, I have a question for you. If that's you, could it be possible, my friend, my beautiful, beautiful friend, could it be possible that you can love him too? Is that in the realm of possibility that you can love him too? Because if the answer is yes, I want to ask you something. What's stopping you from committing your life to him? 
you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus. And you do exactly that. You commit your life to Jesus. And when I have these conversations with people, oh, I'm not ready for commitment. Well, neither was I. And yet here we are. Here we are. So if you're just now realizing like, oh my goodness, I always thought the Bible was just a bunch of rules, but then now you're realizing, yeah, you know, just like my parents, you know, they got mad at me when I put my finger in the socket. It's like, because mama and papa don't want you to die. You know, when I was one, you know, my parents didn't let me play with knives. They didn't let me play with the, you know, the, the, the big you know, the steak knives. They didn't let me play with that. And a baby can complain all they want. But when they grow up, they realize, wow, they start to realize, wow, you know, my parents loved me. My parents helped me. My parents protected me. My parents guided me. How much more our Father in heaven, how much more your Father in heaven, hallowed be his name. Yes, there are rules in the Bible, but those rules are for your life so that you can live. You see? So you're listening. You woke up this morning, a non-believer. You go to bed tonight. My brother, my sister in Christ. You go listen to the message, how to commit your life. You commit your life to Jesus, and then you come back to this study. And we continue studying together. So we're still in Isaiah here. We're still in Isaiah here. In, uh, you know, we see how in verse uh, 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 10, you know, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. And, you know, still in Isaiah, and he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Now, Knowing Elohim, you know, in the beginning, Elohim, in the beginning, God, remember Genesis chapter one, you know, in the beginning, God, in the beginning, Elohim, the triune nature of God, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But let's reread these verses here in verse 10. Let's reread these understanding Elohim and the triune nature of God. So rereading these verses in verse 10, yet it pleased the father to bruise Jesus. Our Father has put Jesus to grief when our Father makes Jesus' soul an offering for sin. Jesus shall see his seed. Our Father shall prolong Jesus' days, and the pleasure of our Father shall prosper in Jesus' hand. Jesus shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By Jesus' knowledge, the Father's righteous servant shall justify many, for Jesus shall bear their iniquities. You see, when you understand Elohim, the triune nature of God, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you look at the law, you look at the prophets, and oh my goodness, taste and see that the Lord is good. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, we see something else. That Jesus despised the shame. He endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. You see? Look at the things that the Lord has done. 
the things that he put in place, the things that were set in motion many, many, many moons ago, the things that angels look into. Remember our prior studies? And let's not forget that Satan tried to circumvent the things that are happening, you know, where Satan tried to tempt Jesus and tell him, you know, the, the kingdoms of this world can be yours. Satan, that's what Satan said to Jesus. The kingdoms of this world can be yours. All you have to do is worship me. You see? According to prophecy, the kingdoms of this world, it's already written. They will be given to Jesus. The government will be placed on his shoulders. And Satan, he tried to circumvent that. Notice, using scripture. But what he did, he twisted the scriptures. And he's still in the business of twisting the scriptures. Very important to understand. We are to test the spirits. Understanding the it is also written. So let's go back to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. Very difficult passages what we're looking at in Mark chapter 15. What we're studying in Mark 15. Because Jesus, I mean, even last week, you know, he's been arrested He's been beaten by both Jew and Gentile. And now, you know, he's been scourged here in Mark 15, in, you know, in verse 16. You know, he's been scourged and the whole garrison is there. And then we see in verse 17, the persecution continues. The mocking continues in verse 17. And they clothed him with purple. Remember, he's just been scourged. So there's think about the open wounds. They're just freshly open wounds, you know, and the, the fabric is placed on those wounds. And it's not gently. It's not like, you know, lightly, you know, it's not gentle. The whole garrison is there. And what they're doing is they're mocking our Lord, son of the most high. They're mocking him. They clothed him with purple and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head. Verse 18 and began to salute him. Hail king of the Jews. You see, it's mockery. That's what they're doing. They're mocking our savior. I mean, in Dr. Luke's account and, you know, the, 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 the gospel according to Luke, in his account, you know, what, 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 what Jesus says when he's on the cross? Jesus, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. They know not what they do. What kind of love is that? Straight up, what kind of love is that? I'll give you the answer. It's not of this world. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Look at what they're doing to him. They're mocking him. You know, the crown on his head, a crown of thorns. Hail, king of the Jews. In verse 19, then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. You see the whole garrison, they're mocking Jesus. Beaten by both Jew and and Gentile. We see that last week in chapter uh, 14, and we see it here in chapter 15 by both Jew and Gentile. The persecution, it continues. In verse 20, and when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, and, and they, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Now remember, they're not treating him gently. He has the wounds from the scourging, and you know, they're off with one fabric and on with the other. It's not in a, a gentle manner at all. In verse 21, then they compelled a certain man, a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Let us not forget 
that Jesus himself had help carrying his cross. You see, we carry our cross as well. Remember in in Matthew chapter 16, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study through the gospel according to Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus is the one who says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then, you know, as, as Paul writes and teaches, we also know that we are to bear one, another, uh, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I love it so much because we see how Jesus himself has helped carrying his cross. We carry our crosses. As believers, we carry our crosses. But at the same time, I help you and you help me. We help one another. Very important to understand. That's why it's, it's very dangerous when you see uh, the, the works of the flesh in the church body, the works of the flesh where the flesh can become leaven and then, you know, the, it opens the door for idolatry and then, you know, more wickedness. And these are where the qualified overseers, they have to be on the lookout for this. Because yes, it's beautiful to bear one another's, uh, bear one another's burdens, but to bear leaven, that is very dangerous. We cannot do that. You cannot bear leaven. Very important to understand. We The three-year example from Corinthians. Remember our study in Corinthians? These are things, these are all archived. These are all archived. So, archived. so when you hear us mention these things, go and listen to those studies. Very important to understand. You know, thewayunderground.com. All those studies are there. Listen, you can hear the, the, the gospel, you know, the entirety of the gospel and the, the gospel of Mark, but then at the same time, you know, how to grow and mature in Christ. All those studies, they're archived. You can listen and understand about growing and maturing in Christ. Very dangerous days that we're living in. And so let's continue our study here in Mark 15 in verse 22. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. That's what's happening. They're doing with our Lord. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on the left, on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. You see, fulfillment is happening. Fulfillment is happening. And there's more prophecies about Jesus and his second coming. This is Jesus and his first coming. We see in verse 29, and those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. I wonder what was being spread. What news was being spread about Jesus? Things that the chief priest said. I meant to release Barabbas instead of Jesus. I wonder what they said to sway the crowd. I wonder if they brought up the temple. And when you consider the people, Consider the people. It's the beginning of Passover week from several chapters ago where Jesus comes riding on a, on, a, on, a, on a colt. 
And the people cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And now the rider who was on the colt, now he's on a cross. Think of how the religious leaders could have easily, 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 easily exploited that. Oh, the Messiah, you thought that he was the Messiah. You thought that he was the Messiah and he was going to restore Israel. Oh, it was all a dud. Nothing happened. Jesus is an imposter. Think of how the religious leaders could have easily, easily, easily exploited things. The sequence of events, the things that are happening here. But we also see their blindness because prophecy is being fulfilled. They have a knowledge of the scripture. But they couldn't even discern Elijah. Remember, they have doctrine, but is doctrine sound? These are things that we looked at in our earlier chapters in the book of Mark. And so now we see verse 31. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. I have to be careful. <laughs> After all they've done. After all they've done. Now they say that they believe, you know, let him descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And now they're saying that they believe after all that they've done. After all that they've done to defile Israel. They got a lot of nerve. And we see in verse 32, even those who were crucified with him reviled him. The thieves on the cross. When you read the Gospels in chronological order, it's so beautiful to see because, you know, the, one of the revilers on their cross, he came to believe in Jesus, literally at death's door, you know, and for him, it wasn't too late. He says to the other thief, you know, we're here because we're guilty. Jesus, he's innocent. And then the thief turns to Jesus and he says, remember, well, he doesn't turn, but, you know, kind of like, you know, speaking, they're on a cross, you know, all three, they're on a cross, but, you know, and then he says to the to, to one, you know, we're here because we're guilty, but he's innocent. And then he, he says to Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And then Jesus tells him, today you will be with me in paradise paradise at death's door and he's in paradise now it wasn't too late for him you see and sometimes when i have these conversations with people are you know what my sin is too great god can't forgive me my sin is too great listen get that thought out of your head that's a lie when you understand what's happening in the pneumos, and you know, when I'm speaking to non-believers, you know, I don't expect them to have an understanding of the, the spirit realm. Although nowadays, you know, sometimes they do have an understanding of the spirit realm, especially when you get into Satanism or you get into the deep Luciferianism. Sometimes they have a, a, a deeper understanding of the pneumos better than Christians, more than Christians. And when you understand the pneumos, and Satan, what he does with that seed, he doesn't want that seed to be in anybody. And he fights. And he's effective on the battlefield. 
And Satan is terrified of a church like the book of Acts. That's why you don't see many churches like the book of Acts today. Satan is very effective. You see? It's not too late. You're a non-believer. If you have the thought in your head like, you know, my sin is too great. I do the sex. I do the drugs. I do the alcohol. Listen, no sin is too great. Look at the thief on the cross. At death's door. And Jesus tells him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. You see? So beautiful. You come to Christ. If you have this thought in your head that like your sin is too great, hey, get that thought out of your head and hit pause and listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ. You come back, you listen. We continue together in our journey. Together. Because you know where we're going? Straight up paradise. That's where we're going. We continue our study in verse 33. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. Now, look how things, look how things are out of whack. Look how things are out of whack, doctrinally speaking, because they, they think they think that he's calling out to Elijah. They think Jesus is, call, you know, in verse 35, some who stood by, they, look, he's calling for Elijah. Look at what they think. Where, where did that idea come from? Because now they want to see, you know, let him, in verse 36, let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. Where did that thought come from? Remember our study in chapter 9? What the so-called shepherds of Israel, what they put in motion? Because it was the religious leaders. They thought that Elijah comes first. But what they didn't discern was that Elijah already came. And look at what their false teaching. Look at the very things that put in motion to the point where Israel is blind. Sometimes people say, well, you know, why do you, why do you, why do you got to be so negative about the grave soakers? They have good music. Oh, Redding, California, it's such a nice place. And look, they have the good music. And all. why you got to say anything bad about their... Yeah, so they go grave soaking. No big deal. No big deal. Listen, it's a huge deal. It's a humongous deal. Necromancy and abomination before the Lord. And you have so-called shepherds. Taking Christians to do that? That's an abomination before the Lord. The same way Israel is defiled by her shepherds, so too the church is defiled by her so-called shepherds. Oh, a council of elders, a council of elders, a council of elders. Yes, a council of elders is beautiful, but where in the world are they? Where? You see, 
Where can be found Aboda Aboda Mishkan? Where? If you're listening, if you're not a, a new listener, if you're listening and you're like, what in the world? What is that? Aboda Aboda Mishkan? What is that? Go and listen to our study through Leviticus. Leviticus. And you'll understand all about it. Just like the, the era of judges. Yeah, we have the priests. But look at them. Look at today. Yeah, we have pastors. Yeah, we have shepherds. We have overseers. Yeah, we have elders. But look at them. In verse 37, And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So now what's happening? According to prophecy, according to the law, according to the prophets, we see fulfillment. But at the same time, we see something else. The seed has officially died. That's what we see here. In verse 37, Jesus breathed his last. The veil of the temple torn in two from top to bottom, and the seed has officially died. But what this has done is it put into motion the new covenant. Very important. The seed has officially died. Now we see the gears of the new covenant start to turn. And for more on this, go and listen to our study through the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Everything's housed. Everything's archived. It's there for you. This is huge what's happening here. The law is still in effect. The law is still in effect. It's not over. The law is still applicable. The wages of sin is death. But remember, the law is a tutor. It brings a person to Christ. The law is not made for a righteous person. Remember what you know, old man Paul says to young Timothy? The law is not made for a righteous person. This is a big, big deal what is happening here in Mark 15. Because we see affection. We see fulfillment of prophecy, the fulfillment of the law, fulfillment of the prophets, but we also see uh, 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 fulfillment in the, the, the seed because the seed is, is officially has died. And now the new covenant. And then we see in verse 39 So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the less, and of Joseph and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. I love this so much. You know, let's not forget, women followed Jesus too. A lot of people, they wrongly overemphasize, overemphasize the male aspect of those who followed him. But let's not forget, hey, there were women too. Verse 42, now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. Remember, we're, we're now at the end of Passover week. The beginning of Passover week, Jesus comes riding on the colt. And remember when we, we, we looked at that in our study in the Mark, and we, we go to the law and we look at the prophets and we, we see how a major, major message to the religious leaders, you know, here is your lamb. Remember the instruction given to Moses? A, a male lamb without blemish. 
and Jesus, he's innocent. And they shed innocent blood. And shedding innocent blood, that brings effectuation of judgment, condemnation. Very important what's happening here. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. It's a big deal what's happening here. Major. And Joseph of Arimathea in verse 43, a prominent council member who, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, in Matthew and John's account, it indicates that Joseph, he had wealth. He was rich. And he was also a disciple of Jesus. And, you know, in, in Matthew and John's account says that he feared the religious leaders. It's just understandable. I mean, look, look what the religious establishment had just done to Jesus. Look what they did to him. Look at the things that they put in motion. Look at how they conspired. Remember, it was a conspiracy with themselves, but then there's conspiracy with the Herodians and now conspiracy with the Romans. Look at the things that they put in motion, both Jew and Gentile, without excuse. And so in verse 44, Pilate marveled that he was already dead and summoning the centurion. He asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he, brought then he bought fine linen, took him down and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb which, he had, which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Now in John's account, the, the book of John, or the gospel according to John, that John's account indicates that it's Joseph and Nicodemus. Nicodemus. We see in verse 47, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. Very sobering chapter. Very, very sobering chapter. But understand, he is risen. He is risen. Our Lord is risen. And next week, Lord willing, we'll bring things to a close and we'll see what happens to the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.